continue to juggle COVID complications as they prepare to host the Oilers. It's the Canucks Hour here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host is, as always, Canucks insider Thomas Drance. You can read his work doing fantastic, doing a fantastic job covering the team at The Athletic as well. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. And Drancer, obviously when Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl are in town, there's a lot of anticipation to see that matchup. This is a big matchup with implications as the Canucks try to stay alive in the Western Conference playoff race as well. We'll talk about all of that, but I think more than anything, coming into the day, there was just a lot of anticipation from Canucks fans to see who would actually be in the lineup for the Canucks because they have been dealing with this rolling COVID situation dating back to that road trip through the eastern part of the United States. So we're here at Rogers Arena. We finally got a chance to see who's actually on the ice, who who was on the ice for the Canucks ahead of their game with the Oilers. We've heard from Boost Boudreau, so I'll just run through some of the highlights for people right now. Uh, goaltender Spencer Martin is back. Of course, he missed the previous game in COVID protocol, so he's back. He's going to start tonight. No Thatcher Demko, who is still in COVID protocol. JT Miller also back into the lineup. Tanner Pearson, however, has left in – has was not on the ice. He has entered COVID protocol after a positive rapid test this morning. So some of that's expected with JT Miller returning. Some of that is very unexpected with Spencer Martin being back and Thatcher Demko not available. But the upshot is Martin, Miller back in the lineup. Demko still out. Tanner Pearson out tonight as well. Brutal. Just brutal. Across the board. I mean, this team goes – what, 8-0-1, and then they go to the southern United States. They have a canceled game that was kind of their option here. Probably wish you'd played that, I think. And then you end up in the southeastern United States and leave players strewn across the eastern seaboard. Ashton Sautner in Florida, Yarrow Halak in Carolina, Connor Garland in Washington, drive to to Boston, Bo Horvat in Nashville on Broadway. And you can't get them back for you know close to two weeks by the time we're all said and done. Yep. I mean they're gonna they're gonna be without Horvat for what four games, five games maybe, by the time they get him back in this weekend, four games I guess. You know it's just tough because this team started slow. We all know what happened in the first twenty five games of the season, and it was dismal, right? And then they get hot, red hot, and they give themselves a real shot, and then COVID complications strike the postponements, the extended absences, a weekend with Spencer Martin playing one game and Michael DiPietro playing the other. Spencer Martin starting a third game tonight, right? Without without either their starter or their backup for at least three. Yep. Halak, you know, they'll cross their fingers and, and hope he gets across the border without issue into, into Manitoba so that he's good to go on Wednesday, but or sorry, Thursday. But, you know, there, there's nothing easy about this. There, it, it is really a tough run of luck. And has significantly, I think, dented Vancouver's already faint playoff hopes. And and now we're sort of looking at the situation where, you know, I think they need two. Like, I think they need two regulation wins this week. Like, I think you need to beat two of Winnipeg, Edmonton, Calgary, and I think you need to do it in regulation. If you lose in regulation to the Flames, not even counting whatever else happens this week, you're six points back and they have the four games in hand. That's 
not insurmountable, but it's pretty close. It's a really tough position to be in. With the Oilers, you're tied with them in points, right? It'd be nice to go two points up and then have the then they have the four games in hand. But I mean, that's what that's what you're looking at. Like, I don't think you can really afford to cede points to these teams. You need three point games. You either need two three point games and a regulation win, or you need two regulation wins. Either way, you need four points from the next three, and you're going to have to do it without a bevy of your best players, like to the point where the Canucks are playing 2D on both power play units. Spencer Martin and Nett. DiPietro backing, backing up. up. I mean, you know, I guess Ryland Toth's not walking through that door, so I suppose they're in a slightly more advantageous spot than they were over the weekend, but not by much. And and you got to feel for... Bruce Boudreaux, who's got this team playing the way they're playing, but I mean, it is it is dim. It is it is dim. Their hopes are dim. The situation's grim, and you know they'll have to channel Mahomes and try yeah, to be the be, grim reaper, be the grim reaper, as Andrew Reid would say, against three teams ahead of them in the standings, and teams that aren't just ahead of them in the standings and hold tiebreakers, but also have significant games in hand over them. It is a brutal spot for this team to be in. It's it's a real tough break for the team, as you laid out. And just to, you know, as I, I started off the show saying, there's all these other storylines happening, but one of the biggest talking points is just who's going to be available to play. And, and I just imagine coming to the rink every day as a player, as a member of the coaching staff, you're dealing with that uncertainty too, right? Bruce Boudreaux is coming to the rink wondering, I wonder who I'll have to put in the lineup tonight, right? And then you just kind of have to see, okay, Pearson – uh, he tested positive, so he's out. I got to juggle my lines based on that. Demko, we were really hoping to have him back today. That's not happening, so I guess we'll roll with Spencer Martin. The update that Bruce Boudreaux gave when he spoke to the media uh, earlier today about the three players who tested positive on the road trip that's Garland, Halak, and Horvat. The, the quote from Boudreaux was from everything that everybody has told me. Garland and Halak will be available for Winnipeg. That's the game on Thursday. Horvat for Calgary. That's the game on Saturday. That's from Bruce Boudreaux. And there's some obvious frustration evident in that quote, right? He's not saying, I can guarantee this will be the case because, as we know with the Canucks, you can't necessarily guarantee that. As you said, you're you're kind of crossing your fingers and hoping that they'll be able to re-enter the country. So that's the latest update from Bruce Boudreaux. He also said that none of the players who have tested positive, positive recently have been sick, and I think you would be fair to detect a little bit of frustration in that comment as well. But as is, you know, as you laid out, it's it's just another stumbling block that the Canucks are going to have to figure out a way to overcome tonight. We'll go through the lines, and you mentioned the two defensemen on the power play. We'll run through all of that in a little bit here. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Get your thoughts in uh, about anything going on with the Vancouver Canucks right now. But I, I really did just want to dig in a little bit on the importance of tonight's game against Edmonton, right, which is one of those teams you feel like you absolutely have to chase down if you're going to find a way to make this playoff chase. You do absolutely have to chase them down. And then, as you said, the two games coming up again against Western Canadian rivals in Winnipeg and Calgary. And because of what happened for the Canucks to start the year, that little two-game hiccup, you know, coming off the back of winning your final two games of the road trip and you're coming home and you're feeling positive and then you only get one point out of playing Florida and playing St. Louis, it's so magnified because of the hole the Canucks dug early in the season for them, right? They're 4-4-2 four, four, and two in their last 10. You're going to have patches like that, right? Even really good teams have patches where you go 4-4-2-10, four, four, and two and 10, but when you're 
so behind the eight ball like the Canucks are, when you lost so many games that were winnable games in the first 25 games of the season, going 4-4-2 and for a 10-game stretch, it feels... It's again, it's so magnified. It feels devastating to your chances rather than just, oh, okay, this is a road bump and we'll get back on track. And for them to have the realistic chance to get back on track, it has to start tonight because you can't afford to let that that little road bump turn into a spiral, turn into, you know, a 15 game stretch where you're just at 500. You have to get that points percentage back up, you know, not maybe not 8 0 1 in every nine game stretch, but it's got to be really, really high from this point on. Well, absolutely it does. I mean, you have 40 points after 41 games, right? You you need to feel to feel safe about making the playoffs. You need 45 points, right? Out of the next 82 available to you, right? I mean, that's that's tough. That's a, you know, it, it's a it's a big pace. Like it's not an easy trick to pull off. You basically have to always be gaining if you're going to get there. You know, it's just it's just a really tough um, overall circumstances, uh, overall circumstance. I mean, the pace we're talking about, you know, it's not unrealistic for this team, but it's very, very steep. The climb is very steep. You have to always be gaining when yeah. you fall behind. It's why the first 15 games, first 20 games, tell you so much about the ultimate playoff picture. I, I, you know, very few teams come back from the brink the way the Canucks uh, will have to in the event that they truly resuscitate that this season. Um, you know, the the four four and two stretch you mentioned or or even just more recently, like since the start of the road trip, right? It's two, uh, three they've got four losses, two, three, and one, right? Yep. Two, three, and one. That's that kills you. Yeah, that that is absolutely like you cannot live with that. And and if you're going to stay alive, you know, I, again you need four points in the next six. Uh, you need to beat at least two of these teams in regulation or make sure that none of them beat you in regulation. There is no other option for this team. And if they can't accomplish that, then I do think it's time to uh, – I, I do – I think it's clearly time to begin to look ahead, look forward, begin to talk about the second path that we've been so focused on, uh, even as the Canucks were on this run, which is what's next for this team and how do they get – this roster, this lineup, this organization to the point where we're not having this conversation again 12 months from now. And, you know, as you mentioned, they have to make the most out of these next three games against Western Conference opponents that are ahead of them in the standings, and they need help on the Edertown scoreboard. They did not get that last night either. Anaheim wins, the Kings get a point on the road against the Rangers, the Stars win, and the Flames beat up on the St. Louis Blues. And that's, and that's a lot of... You're, the teams you're chasing getting wins against good teams, good opponents, right? Like the Ducks win on the road in Boston. The Kings get a point on the road in the Rangers. Yeah. Calgary blows out a very good St. Louis team. Well, not that was a bit a, of a no-show. Not show. just a point, but a point in the shootout. So they yeah. didn't even um, – they didn't even – like they added – or they didn't add to their ROWs. But, I mean, still, if this, this all matters for the Canucks because, you know, in addition to trailing these teams in points, in addition to all of these teams having games in hand, right – Three in Winnipeg's case, four in Calgary's, four in Edmonton's. Um, you know, you also don't hold the tiebreakers over anybody, right? They all have the RW and ROW advantage. Like, in a playoff race this close, that can matter a lot. So, uh, well, in a playoff race that looks this close at the moment. It's not as close as it looks because of those games Games in hand, hand yeah. Which is also what amps up, to use a favorite word of mine, the leverage yes. of the Canucks challenge, the fundamental challenge ahead. Now... 
Let's, Fun- let's, fundamental. For the fundamental challenge of the of, of what lies ahead for this team. Uh, that starts tonight against an Edmonton Oilers team that has been snake bit, like Sammy Sallow snake bit. And they've been snake bit at both ends of the rink. Their goaltending has been atrocious. And now their goaltending actually is atrocious. Yes. But it's even been worse than it should be, right? Like, as bad as you think their goaltending is, their actual form uh, in net still has been unlucky. <laughs> like, it's been so bad that it's going to regress in a positive direction. They've also been one of the NHL's most snake bit shooting teams, five on five, since dating back to about December 1st. I don't think that's going to last. The Oilers are no. definitely a team that's going to have an elevated shooting percentage. So, you know, this is a really tough one for for a Canucks team like uh, that's without Thatcher Demko. You know, Spencer Martin did it. He did it against a Panthers team playing the second leg of back-to-backs. But this is an Oilers team that got in here, you know, nice and comfortably yesterday, right? They're, they're, not, they're going to be rested. Both teams are on the same amount. Well, not the same amount of rest, but close to it. Actually, the Oilers are, are more rested. rested. They played on Saturday. So... This is a very different challenge than playing the uh, Florida Panthers on the second leg of a back-to-back. A, a really tough spot for Spencer Martin facing two of the top five players in hockey. And and it's not just the Connor McDavid breakaways. It's Dreisaitl's trickery, right? It's, yep. it's Dreisaitl gets shots off from his feet at weird angles that no one can anticipate. Like Thatcher Demko thinks his shot's the hardest to stop in the NHL. And... This team typically has gone as Thatcher Demko has gone, right? And we've talked about this a lot, and then people get upset and say, you know, goaltenders are part of the team, and no question, no question. But you need, if you're a team that profiles so that you need elite goaltending performance to just hang around, you're not good enough, right? Elite goaltending performance should put you on the type of run that makes you a no-doubter playoff team. And we've seen Demko have stretches of unconscious dominance this season uh, in October and it didn't matter because of how the PK was sputtering and then again in December and the Canucks finally capitalized but it's like that's what it needs to look like every time you get a run of dominance like that from your goaltender you need to be winning every game and the Canucks did it in fairness in Boudreaux's uh, after the Boudreaux coaching change but it has slowed down the PK has sprung a leak again and now they're without their guy now they're without this team's clear-cut MVP, uh, a, a guy who has a chance to be a Vesna um, finalist, a guy who is going to the All-Star game. And what I think this shines a, a microscope on, although you know they're dealing with so many other absences that maybe the relief isn't as stark as it might otherwise be, is is just the fact that you need more. You need more routes to victory besides our goaltender will steal one. And I don't know that this team has them. Uh, I certainly don't know that they have them tonight, but even with the full roster, I don't know that they have enough routes to victory, um, you know, outside of outside of the one area that this organization has been among the best in the league at, which is identifying, developing, churning out, relying on stellar goaltending. Um, you know, that's great. That's great. But this organization needs a lot more, and that's clearly a big part of the challenge that lies ahead for Jim Rutherford. And Demko, obviously, always going to be a major absence, as you said. You know, team MVP, no doubt about it, this year, especially when you're going up against Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. And as you said, they're still generating their chances, right? It's not as if they have, they're have they not effective out there. Snake bit from a shooting percentage standpoint, but 
obviously still extremely dangerous players that you know you have to be massively concerned about every time they step on the ice and without that safety net of Thatcher Demko it's it's a such a huge challenge for Spencer Martin and the rest of the Canucks Jazzy text in do you guys know when Demko might be back the hope would certainly be for Thursday's game in Winnipeg I mean I know when Demko went into COVID protocol there was hope he would be available for tonight obviously that didn't happen that hasn't happened so we'll see but I think certainly the Canucks will be hoping that they'll get their number one goalie back when they take on the Jets on Thursday I'll run through the lines here as the Canucks lined up in their morning skate ahead of tonight's game against Anaheim or Anaheim excuse me Edmonton uh so most interestingly, with JT Miller back, and this is partly, of course, due to other absences. There's only so many players uh, forwards available for the Canucks tonight, but the lotto line has been reunited with Miller, Pedersen, and Besser on the top line. Highmore, Lamico, Mott, Hoaglander, Dickinson, Chason, Chason, Pud Colson, Dowling, and Bailey rounds out the forward group. The lotto line, yes, I know, as I said, mostly out of necessity because you're missing Pearson, Garland, Horvat. There's only so many combinations you can throw out there. But it's still very, very interesting to see that trio back together. And I think specifically in terms of Elias Pettersson, right? Elias Pettersson started this recent resurgence of form playing on the wing. Then he had to move to center because Bo Horvat was unavailable. And he said, hey, guess what? We got to move you to center in that game against Nashville. He's had to juggle. uh, He's had his line mates juggled, again, because of necessity. Through it all, he's continued to play very well. Through those changing circumstances, right? He's continued to show that Elias Pettersson form of old. Now he gets to play with a line that obviously has had a ton of success in the past. As you pointed out, he loves to play with Brock Besser, so he gets his wish there. They're reunited on a line together. I, I know some people have looked at it and said, you know what? I kind of don't need to see the lot of line together anymore. They didn't click early in the season. Let's try something else. But if you have this version of Elias Pettersson back, I'm curious to see what that group can do tonight. And again, without Thatcher Demko going up against Edmonton, they need that line to be really, really good if they're going to get that result tonight. Yeah, and I'm curious to see if Pedersen or Miller will end up on the wing. Um, yep. You know, I, I didn't see line rushes today, so I'm not sure if Pedersen is playing center on that line or if he's playing on the wing. I'm hopeful that he's at center because, you know, JT Miller's profile over the first half, and we all know the scoring stats are through the roof. We've seen the special teams contributions, right? There, there's no taking anything away from what Miller has accomplished this season um, as, you know, probably this team's best forward, frankly. Yeah. But the fact is, is that from an underlying perspective, and, and I know people love when I say that, right? When we go under the hood. Um, fundamentally. Fundamentally. he He's not the same play driver at center that he is on the wing, right? For me, JT Miller's a guy who puts up a ton of points, is useful in all situations, still plays physically, can still break games for you, but the results in terms of his ability to exert that like assertive willful impact on the flow of play at five on five, that exists more for him on the wing than it does in the middle. I think the center ice position tends to result in some aspects of his game that I think are, you know, like the strengths of his game, I think play better on the the wing. Like, I just think he's, really good when he's making very quick decisions, playing fast, using his size and battle winning ability, and also doing the regroup stuff in transition. I think at center, when he's handling the puck, he's a little more prone to error. Um, I I just don't think it works quite as well in terms of driving play, although clearly he can produce in either spot, and that's tremendous. But it's the difference for me between a first-line wing 
and a second-line center, and I'd rather take the first-line player than the top-six player. And and I just think wing version of JT Miller, like, I'm hopeful we get to see it tonight because, for me, that's the best version. Well, and especially in this instance where, as you say, the for you, the best version of JT Miller is on the wing. The best version, of, for me, of Elias Patterson is in the middle, right? So if you have a yep. first-line center capable of playing like Elias Patterson can at his best, yeah, why move him to the wing for, you know, what might be a slightly lesser version of JT Miller? And it would be one thing if... Elias Pettersson had only played on the wing in this stretch of really good form for him, right? And you were kind of thinking, okay, I don't want to mix it up too much. So Miller's having success at center. Pettersson's having success on the wing. We'll leave them there even as we reunite the lotto line. But the fact that Pettersson had to go to center for that Nashville game and has played at center since then and has still looked really good, why not try to catch that lightning in a bottle that the lotto line had a couple of years ago, right? Pettersson has shown he can be an absolute beast in the middle of the ice playing at center with these two wingers specifically. And based on what we've seen from Elias Pettersson recently, I think you've got to give him the opportunity to do that again against the Edmonton Oilers because, again, you're going to need you're gonna, no Demko, but you still have Pettersson and Hughes, right? You still have Miller back in the lineup. You still have Besser. You need to put those guys in a position to be as impactful as possible in this game if you're going to get a result. For me, that's Elias Pettersson at center ice tonight against the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. Lots more coming up. As a reminder, don't forget, subscribe to the Canucks Hour podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and review as well. JT Miller's name, of course, has been out there for another reason. We'll talk about those trade rumors, the latest from Frank Zaravelli on the station yesterday. Plus, we will... Chat with Canucks forward Matthew Highmore about the increased role his line has seen recently from Bruce Boudreau. It is the Canucks Hour on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back. It is the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drantz here with you. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. Lots to get to in this segment. Of course, the Canucks taking on the Oilers tonight at Rogers Arena. You'll be able to hear all of your game day coverage right here on Sportsnet 650. We're going to chat with Matthew Highmore in a few minutes. We actually chatted with him uh, just before the show went on the air as the Canucks finished up their morning skate and game day meeting. So we'll bring you that interview in a few minutes. As I mentioned before the break, uh, the JT Miller trade conversation continues. Just to get you the latest on what Frank Saravelli had to say yesterday on Sportsnet 650 on Canucks Central with Satyar Shah and Dan Riccio, he did mention that in, in addition to the New York Rangers being very, very interested in JT Miller's services. Hot and heavy. Yes. <laughs> the Flames, the Minnesota Wild, and the Boston Bruins, all mentioned by Frank Saravelli as teams that have inquired about the services or might be in on the JT Miller trademark. And he also said, just in general, Canucks fielding a lot of calls, which makes sense because we know this is a – Jim Rutherford is aggressive. He's he's not going to look at this and say, you know what, I think there's only maybe a minor tweak here or there that I'll do. Jim Rutherford, at the very least, is going to be open to doing lots of different things. Now, we'll see what materializes <laughs> out of that, but it shouldn't be, be a surprise to anyone that the Canucks are fielding 
a lot of different calls. Now we'll see how eager the Rangers are actually to backslide. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. Now looking at it tonight, we talked a little bit about the Lotto Line reunion, and you know, again, keeping JT Miller in focus here. He will be skating with Elias Pettersson and Brock Besser against the Edmonton Oilers tonight. Now, that's a very intriguing possibility for me, as I said earlier in the show, and especially Drance tonight, I think, when you need, without Thatcher Demko, when you need extremely high-end performances from your best players, from your best forwards in particular, that line has got to refine that chemistry and click right away in tonight's game, I think. Well, they do, 100%. And, and you know, for me, though, that line is I know they haven't been at their 1920 best in a long time right yep. so that 1920 was two years ago <laughs> plus and in that season they were the best line in the Western Conference bar none they were awesome they were incredible incredible and and you know what their biggest impact was actually defensively they they held the puck so consistently and generated so consistently that they actually didn't succeed because they were the highest flying you know most exciting line in hockey they just dominated play and as a result gave up zero scoring chances when they were on the ice. It was quite incredible. Um, so, you know, it's not just that side of it, though. It's not just about the lotto line for me tonight. Like, what I'm really interested to see is that based on how the Oilers practiced on Monday and the news that Ryan Nugent Hopkins appears to be coming back, the Oilers are going to attack the Canucks with Dreisaitl and McDavid on different lines. So we're going to see McDavid. Uh, centering like Kyler Yamamoto and um, McLeod, and then Dreisaitl with Warren Fogle and, you know, somebody. And then, because Zach Hyman's out. And then our, uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins with uh, old pal Zach Cassian uh, in addition to, you know, some guy. And so, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry. Fair just, enough. It is what it is. I, I you know, it's, uh, I'll, I'll get it for you. It's uh, Pugliarvi, excuse me, Pugliarvi, Fogle, and Dreisaitl. It's Perlini, Nugent Hopkins, and Zach Cassian, just in case you actually want the line. Yes. So this is a, a very interesting decision then to reunite the lotto line because what effectively you're asking them to do is go up against one of Dreisaitl or McDavid and not not just like come out even, but they need to win that matchup because further down the lineup, you're probably looking at Ryan Nugent Hopkins against a, a Dickinson-Hoaglander line yep. with Chase on on it. And then you're probably looking at throwing the Lamico Highmore Mott line at one of Dreisaitl and McDavid. I'd, I wonder if it's McDavid because of the speed factor. I wonder if it's McDavid because of the speed factor. Now, Boudreaux's not as matchup or oriented as Travis Green typically is, right? A, a, a very different world we're living in in terms of how the Canucks will attack the Oilers, even though they're shorthanded and at home. Um, they may just roll lines, right? I mean, that might be. Their, their tack might be, let's play our own game and not worry too much about the Oilers. But I do think with the lotto line playing together and the Oilers fattening their centers on the other side, it, it does pose a really fascinating challenge for the Canucks where, where, for me, you know the onus is split doubly between other lines to step up and handle a matchup that we're going to be pretty lenient about in yeah. terms of grading their performance and requiring truly requiring that the lotto line comes out ahead when they're like the they have to they have to do damage in those minutes because otherwise i think the canucks are really in for the struggle now of course part of this story is matthew highmore who we chatted with today and you know that lamical line 
clearly has earned the type of trust where this is a serious option that Boudreaux's considering. Just before we get to our conversation with Matthew Highmore, in particular, the five-on-five battle is going to be really important tonight because we know that the Canucks penalty kill has gotten back to struggling, and we'll touch on that yep. with Matthew Highmore when we chat in, when we play it in a few minutes here. Obviously, no, an incredibly dangerous power play unit on the other side for the Edmonton Oilers. And then plus, you look at with the absences of Pearson, Horvat, and Garland, how the Canucks power plays are lining up. And on the first unit, it's Besser, Pedersen, Miller, Hughes, and Oliver ekman Larson. So two defensemen on the top unit, which you don't necessarily feel extremely confident about. And then on the second unit, it's Chason, Dickinson, Hoaglander, Brad Hunt, and Tyler Myers. So to put it lightly, not the ideal power play setup that Bruce Boudreaux would like to put out there. You you can't be counting on your special teams to pull you out a win here, right? You're going to need to have a really strong five-on-five performance. As you said, that starts with the lotto line being at the top of their game, and it also starts with the Lamico, Mott, Highmore trio winning whatever matchup they end up getting in this game against the Edmonton Oilers. As mentioned earlier before the show, we had a chance to chat with Matthew Highmore as he finished uh, Canucks morning skate here at Rogers Arena. Here's our conversation with the Canucks forward. Good, guys. Uh, hope things are well over there, and uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it's our pleasure. We're doing very well. And, you know, I wanted to start your line. You've been playing, obviously, with Yuho Lamico and Tyler Mott has been in, really in the spotlight a lot in recent weeks for the Vancouver Canucks, getting a lot of play- praise from the coach, Bruce Boudreaux, getting a lot of opportunities as well on the ice. What has really clicked with you and that line in recent games here for the Canucks? Yeah, I think it's been honestly pretty simple for us. Uh, we've just been playing hard, uh, reading and reacting off each other. Um, there hasn't been a whole lot of thinking going on. Um, and a lot of times when you're not thinking, you're just kind of uh, playing. And, and and that's when you're at your best. So, um, you know, we look to, to keep that going. We have to continue to create energy, uh, be responsible defensively. And, um, you know, when you do that, you do get uh, offensive opportunities as well. Matthew, is it fun? Like, is it just fun when you get a run with the same line mates and have some success and clearly have a fair bit of trust? Like, is it just fun to be playing hockey right now? Yeah, for sure. I think uh, anytime you feel like you're contributing to um, winning and contributing, helping our team, uh, it's fun. It doesn't really matter how you do it, how you do it. Um, but I will say that it's been a, been a lot of fun playing with those two. Uh, they're just really easy to play with, easy to read off of, and uh, they work extremely hard. So um, it's been a great little run, but uh, we, ha- we have to keep it going. And obviously there's the chemistry fit that you talk about. I mean, specifically with you and Tyler Mott, you know, just it seems the, the emphasis on speed, the ability to get on the four check, and just the effort that you two bring out there is always really noticeable. Is it, you know, as we just said, it, it's fun to, to have the success you're having. It is, also, is it also just fun to kind of find a player that it seems like your play style is really click and you want to do a lot of the same things out there on the ice? For sure, yeah. Um, you know, and myself, Motter and, and Lammer, we're all good friends too off the ice, so it's, it's easy to communicate. Um, you know, kind of, like you said, we kind of all play the same style and uh, know what we're good at, and I think that that's important. Um, and we just like to get in there, get it, get the pucks back, retrieve them, play simple from there, and, um, yeah, it's been great. Matthew, a couple of years ago in Chicago, you played a lot with David Kampf. 
Um, do, you, do you see any similarities with out of, out of Yuho? Particularly because in this market, I think people are more familiar with Tyler based on his tenure, and, and you had the success late last season. Uh, but Yuho sort of, this has been kind of his first time in the spotlight for a lot of Canucks fans. Do you see any similarities there with uh, with Camp and, and Lamico, just big guys who sort of mop up a bit? For sure. Um, you know, I think sometimes a lot of the stuff that Yuho does on the ice is, is underrated. The little uh, pick plays or, um, you know, recently his face-offs have been incredible. So um, we've been... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I got somebody talking in no the back worries, of my man. ear, but uh, no, seriously, he's been he's been great, and uh, like I said, he does a lot of the little things, uh, goes in that hard, and uh, very similar to David Camp for sure. Uh, can you understand you how well? I worked with him in Florida. Um, when you guys when you guys are talking on the bench, do you understand him? Uh, Half the time, for the most for the most part, <laughs> we, we get the gist of it. Sometimes when we're all out of breath, we don't understand each other anyway. So, uh, no, but his English is good, and uh, we com- communicate no problem. Uh, one of my favorite characters, just a just a beauty. With uh, with regard to the speed that you guys have as a trio, right? Um, do you think, in particular, the way that your club is playing just suits your style? Like, is part of the success that you guys are having as a line? how Boudreau wants you to play yes I think uh, I, I just think you know when you're skating and putting pressure on teams um, that's how you create offense and frustrate the opponent frankly um, you just want to be all over them uh, whether it be on top of uh, puck plays or creating a race in their D zone um, you know, I think that that's how we want to play um, as a team. So we're we're trying to do that, and uh, we're certainly getting better at it. In conversation with Canucks forward Matthew Highmore here on Canucks Hour Sportsnet 650. Of course, the Canucks take on the Oilers tonight. And, you know, Matthew, we've talked about the increased offensive opportunities and the more ice time that your line has gotten. And part of that that's come with that has also been playing against the other team's top players a lot. What's what's it been like to get the opportunity to you know uh, play some of the really hard matchups against as I said uh, top players around the league? Yeah, it's been fun. Um, you know, I think as a player, you want to challenge yourself and play against the best players and um, and be successful at it. So um, you know, we we see we saw a lot of Barkov the other night. Um, the other night was uh, Tarasenko and Shen. So. Um, it's been fun. It's a, certainly a challenge, you know, when you're playing against the best players in the world. They're, you know, they're going to get their opportunities, but you have to limit them as much as possible. And I think that, uh, you know, if we continue to do the same kind of things, that uh, we will limit them as much as we can. A couple of pretty good players on the other side of things tonight for Edmonton. Are you expecting to see uh, a heavy dose of McDavid and Dreisaitl for your line tonight? <laughs> we'll see. Um <laughs> You know, two great players. So we'll, uh, as a team, we're going to have to be on our toes. Um, they can make something out of nothing a lot of times. And, uh, you know, that's where you have to limit them as much as possible and, and, and be smart, um, whether it's getting a little bump on one of them or, uh, you know, just staying high and, and, you know, fighting for another play to get it out and uh, just battle. Matthew, just before we let you go here, I did want to ask about the penalty kill. It, you know, I know it was uh, an issue for the team earlier in the season when, when you were still getting healthy. It had some success early under Bruce Boudreaux. It seems to have ran into some problems again here recently. 
what needs to happen for the team to you know get that unit back to the level you want to be at yeah obviously we're we're not quite where we want to be um we know that as a collective group we need to uh, kill some more penalties and and that collectively will help our our team um but i think it's you know a lot of just a couple little things here or there whether it's getting a clear uh, spending a little bit less time in our zone um you know and those clears will be huge to make a difference that way um you know make a team come the whole length of the rink and uh you know we're, we're gonna get this thing turned around it's um it's been a little bit of a tough last two three weeks i guess but uh you know we can start to see some signs that uh we're doing a lot of good things and we have to continue to get better and 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 realize that it's uh, a process and trust that process matthew really appreciate the time uh good luck in the game against the oilers today thanks guys have a good day that is Canucks forward Matthew Highmore. We caught up with him a little bit earlier in the day, just before our show went on the air, talking about his line's recent success, of course, playing with Yuho Lamico and Tyler Mott, also about the challenges facing the team tonight. And it was interesting. He played it a little bit coy about whether he was expecting to see a steady diet of McDavid and Dreisaitl. But as you laid out, you just look at how the lines set up for the Canucks tonight. Unavoidable. And yes, that line is going to see, as they have recently, he mentioned, playing against Barkov, playing against the Tarasenko line for St. Louis. That has been a big part of their role recently, especially with Bo Horvat out of the lineup as he is tonight. They're going to have to find a way to... You can't shut down either of those players. You're not going to do that. But as he said, limit it, frustrate them, use their speed to create whatever frustration they can. They've embraced the matchup. He spoke about it there. It's been fun. He's enjoying it. Tough test tonight for the for though for that line because tough, again, two, two of the absolute best, most dangerous players in the world. Yeah, you know, and and Matthew Highmore has played these guys a fair bit, right? Of course, the Blackhawks, Matthew yep. Highmore's Blackhawks, defeated the Edmonton Oilers uh, pretty soundly in the bubble um, on Edmonton home ice, albeit I don't know that it's home ice when you, when no one's in the yep. building. Uh, so, you know, he's done it before. Uh, he's he's played against these guys. He's had success against these guys. He's had success on an undermanned team against these players, and there's no question. There's no question. Like, Lamico, Mott, Highmore is Vancouver's second line tonight, period. I, I mean, you know, I've been tracking their ice time and wondering if they're playing too much and on and on. And it's like tonight they won't be. Tonight there's almost no amount that they can play unless the Canucks are trailing in the third and they start logging more ice time than the lotto line that I would sort of be critical of because they, they're Vancouver's second line. That That is just the fact of the matter. They're Vancouver's second line. And in the event that the Canucks decide to go matchup heavy tonight as they approach their Oilers opponent, they're going to be matched against one of McDavid or Dreisaitl, and I won't be shocked. I won't be shocked based on the speed of that line, the greater level of speed that Highmore and Mott possess than any combination you might throw on the wing from yep. the lotto line, that they draw McDavid and Yamamoto and McLeod. And that's, you know, that's a warp speed line. That's as fast as it gets. So it's going to be massively interesting to see if they can continue it. You know, that line has played well. They have driven play. They have wildly outscored their opponents. I think it's 4-2. The differential is now 4-2 because they were on the ice for that Cairo uh, distance yep. goal. Um, you know, not not a terribly high danger shot. I wouldn't have called that a huge defensive breakdown, although the Blues did have a ton of pressure leading up to it. There was a fair bit of uh, movement. Um, so, you know, they have outscored their opponents, but They've also been very fortunate. The goaltending's been great when they're on. Their conversion rate is through the roof. 
Um, so there is a lot going on with that line. They have been good. They've also been lucky. We'll see if that luck can continue and if their form can continue in one of the toughest assignments they'll have had <laughs> to date against this Oilers, le- lethal Oilers top six. And you just look at the other options that would theoretically be available to Bruce Boudreaux, right, to try to take some of those really dangerous minutes against McDavid and Dreisaitl. And the other two lines beyond this line, this unit, Lamico, Highmore, and Mott, and the lotto line, it's Hoaglander, Dickinson, and Chason. So and obviously we, we know they're not getting Dickinson and Chason don't have the speed. Don't and Hoaglander, we've talked a lot yeah. about his defensive we know, struggles. We've we heard know. from Bruce Boudreaux. We know they're not getting. You're top not going to get that. And then we the and then the bottom, the fourth line as it lined up is Pod Coles and Dowling and Bailey. And again, that's not a group that you're going to feel confident putting out for dangerous minutes. It it just illustrates well, they the, also didn't play in in the third while trailing against the Blues. So we know that they're a clear fourth line. That's not a fourth line that might be used in, in an interesting way in a matchup role. Like, that is a true fourth line. We'll expect to see them play fourth line deployment. It's a huge test. It's a huge test for the Canucks. It's a huge test for the Lamico line. The Lotto line needs, needs to carry the Canucks tonight. Absolutely needs to. And then how does the defense hold up, right? How do Myers OEL hold up against McDavid? Um, do the Canucks scramble their pairs to get more speed on every single pair, right? I mean, you're, you're, you could be faster, for example, as a group with the same personnel if you went OEL Pullman, right, Myers Hunt, and Shen Hughes. That gives you sort of one guy I think you're feeling pretty good about their four-way mobility on each line with Myers, Pullman, Hughes, right? I wonder I wonder if they'll consider that uh, the speed factor that McDavid brings, that constant threat, you know, and then and then to face that constant threat without, you know, Thatcher Demko, without your ha. force field, right? Without, I mean, without Thatcher Demko, it's like those scenes in Star Trek where they're like, you know, shields are down to 5%, <laughs> right? I mean, they don't Evasive have... Evasive maneuvers. Their, yeah. their shields are down, Captain. Like, my goodness. So... You know, this is a big, big test for the Canucks, and it's an absolutely essential game because I don't think you want to look up the standings tomorrow and see this team down two points to the Oilers, who still have four games. The point about the blue line is is a well-made one as well because it's easy to focus on the forward group. That's where they're missing the players other than Demko, right? It's Pearson, it's Horvat, it's Garland, all key players, all important players, especially Bo Horvat down the middle in this matchup, but... You know, I mentioned with Demko out how Pedersen needs to continue his high level of play, and it's the same thing with Quinn Hughes. He needs to he he has been Quinn Hughes. I thought he was fantastic yeah. against St. Louis. He's awesome. Unreal. He, he, he's he's such an impactful player, and it's I hadn't watched games... him live in two weeks, and then I see that Blues game, and I'm like, oh my god, the, the... the things this guy does that you, that I I don't even I don't even remember to appreciate it. Sometimes he's so good, it's but ridiculous. Particularly in this matchup versus the speed of the Oilers, the ability that he has to control the game, to control the pace of yep. the game when he's on the ice is amplified. That becomes even more important for the Canucks and just in general finding the ways to tilt the ice, right? Because it's one thing to try to play against McDavid and Dreisaitl in your own zone, but the best way to limit their opportunities is to find a way to keep that puck as far away from your net as possible. Well, and, and let's not forget, right, this Oilers team has meant a lot over the course of Quinn Hughes's development. And I think back to his rookie season, he had the first game of that rookie, full rookie year. So not his first NHL game, but his first game of the 2019-20 season when he was a Calder nominee. Um, you know, they match up against the Oilers. He gets out-muscled by Leon Dreisaitl, and then 
you know, refers back to that moment for months thereafter as a moment where he realized the way he had to control the neutral zone, the way he had to use his speed and his feet and his positioning and his stick to get in on guys' wrists, to to use the poke check to avoid those situations. I, I also think about the game. It was December 21st or 19th. I think the 21st. No, you know what? It was the 23rd. It was the game before Christmas, 2019, back in a better normal world, yep. when... Quinn Hughes drew the first time, and it was the very first time that him and Tanev drew the toughs at home in a disciplined way. And it was the first time that the Canucks employed Hughes' feet as a countermeasure against McDavid. I'm curious to see if we'll see that again tonight because that was a fascinating moment and a key moment in his development. As much as we talk about the lotto line needing to step up, um, the Canucks definitely need Quinn Hughes to be the best player on this ice sheet tonight. We will see how it plays out tonight. Canucks, Oilers, 7 o'clock. Of course, you'll hear it all here on Sportsnet 650. The People Show is up next. It's the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.